0: Let's begin this morning where we ended last week, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, where Matthew outlines for us the reaction among the people listening to Jesus to his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 28 and 29 of chapter 7, Matthew writes this, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The crowds were astonished because of the unique authority with which Christ taught. His words carried a a different kind of weight, a weight of, of knowledge and power these people had never heard before. They were not Words dependent upon another authority. They were authoritative in and of themselves as the very word of God, the incarnate word of God, spoke the words of God. And because Jesus is the word of God, his words are uniquely powerful. As we continue our study in the gospel of Matthew, leaving now the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew gives us another glimpse today in Matthew chapter 8 of the power of the words of Jesus. The same authoritative voice that spoke the the ethic of the kingdom of God or, or informed us about the reality of the kingdom of God is now speaking healing. He's now speaking restoration. He's setting things right as he heals people with various needs. And in the process, we need to recognize that Jesus, through these actions, he's still continuing to teach us about the nature of this kingdom that he is bringing upon the earth and the nature of his rule as our worthy king. This morning, we will get to behold Jesus in a new way. As Matthew still is introducing us to this Christ, this king who rules, showing us new dimensions of his nature. And here's what Matthew will show us, a king who is both passionate or powerful and compassionate. A king who is both powerful and compassionate and, and perfectly so. He holds these, these two qualities together like no one before him or since. I think we can all agree that power and compassion are an unusual combination for human beings at least. Especially at this moment in history when Jesus is on the earth and, and tyrants generally ruled. Where people who had power wielded it for their own gain and at the expense of others. And we see evidence of that imbalance even today. Just look at what's happening in Ukraine. As a man with an inordinate amount of power is using that power to destroy, to murder innocent people. With no hint of compassion in order to secure more power and resources for himself. That's what... People typically do with this kind of power. They oppress others in order to gain more for themselves. But Jesus has more power than anyone who's ever walked on the face of this planet. And he uses that power to help those whom society would normally ignore or or take advantage of. To bring restoration, healing, peace upon the earth. And in so doing, again, giving us a greater glimpse into his kingdom and to the eternity that awaits for us. Friends, in Matthew chapter 8 today, we will get a picture, a taste of what awaits those who are in Christ, where we will enter heaven, a place free from the brokenness of sin, the despair of this life. We will be restored in every way and bask in the glory of God forever. Won't that be a joyous place Let's remember this morning where our hope is properly situated and let's catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ, our powerful and compassionate king. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Here's what the word of God says. And when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them that he was clean. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And he said to him, Lord, I will come, I will heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at, at a table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick and with fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with the word. He healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. In our passage, Matthew is unfolding these, these two unique realities about King Jesus, the, the nature of his authority and how he will use it in his kingdom. Matthew shows us that that King Jesus is incomparably powerful and he is surprisingly compassionate. Let's consider for a moment as the people of God today why these qualities are so important for us to recognize in Christ and why they are so essential to, to who he is as our king. Let's begin by noticing the power of Jesus. Jesus heals people. He is shown here to be more powerful than even the most feared diseases because he has authority over them. In verses one to four, we see that Jesus heals a leper. Now in this time, leprosy was a term that applied to a number of skin ailments, some of which which could be healed, some of which could not be healed. The, The worst of them, known today as Hansen's disease, could leave an infected person looking deformed and even could lead to their death. And because of the uncertainty of this disease and what caused it, there was great fear among the, the people. There's great fear if, if, if they were to come in contact with someone who had this disease. You, you should not and would not desire to touch a leper because as soon as you touched them, you were considered to be un. Clean, And the perceived power of this disease caused those who were infected to be feared and isolated. But, but look at Christ's interaction with this man. The, the leper comes to Jesus, which is a tremendous thing in and of itself. We'll talk about that more later. But he comes to Jesus, kneels before him, and appeals for Christ to show him Mercy. He he recognizes there's a power in Jesus that may be more powerful than his disease. And in response, the Lord stretches out his hand and touches the diseased man. He touches him. Jesus speaks and the disease immediately leaves. What power. This powerful and feared disease is no match for the power and the majesty of King Jesus. Right. With a word, that disease is gone, showing us that the disease is subject to the king, not the other way around. And then in verses 5 to 13, we see Jesus heal the servant of a centurion. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier in a leadership position, usually having oversight of about a hundred soldiers. And this man was almost certainly not Jewish, likely a Gentile from Lebanon or Syria. But according to Luke 7, he was a friend to the Jewish people, all those serving their oppressor. And he comes to Jesus, hearing about the miraculous works of Jesus and asks him to heal his servant. And that in of itself may seem a bit unusual until you recognize that centurions could not legally marry. They had no family. So a servant may be the closest thing to family that this man has. And so in a desperate moment, he approaches Jesus and appeals to his authority, a man in authority, appealing to a higher authority, asking him to heal this man that he loves. And so Jesus tells the centurion he will do what he asks. He will go to the house, he will heal the servant. But the centurion says, no, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. I'd rather you do this. And it's a remarkable statement from the centurion. He says, I know that if you just simply speak your desire for my servant to be healed, it will be so. That's the kind of authority that I know you have, Jesus. There's a unique power that I've seen in you. The whole of creation somehow must obey. And, and just like when I give a command to those things that serve me, I know that since creation serves you, if you give a command, it will be done. Everything exists for your glory. So everything you created must obey. And then finally, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law along with some others in verses 14 to 17. But I want to focus here on Peter's mother-in-law because this is a more personal miracle since her family is known to Jesus. Again, Jesus engages with a sickness here in a way that is forbidden. According to rabbinic law, Jesus should not have touched this woman while she had a fever, but Jesus does touch her. And immediately she is Healed. Jesus isn't like those other so-called doctors or sorcerers or healers in this time relying upon magic, incantations, or folk remedies to cure someone who is sick, hoping something sticks and works. Rather, his touch is enough. It's a touch given in surety because of the power that it Conveys, friends, this is true unparalleled power on display. Whether the the illness was a result of the general brokenness of this world or the direct result of demonic oppression, as we see in verse 16, Christ is shown to be Lord over all of it. And is himself more powerful than anything that can come against us. He has authority over the physical realm. He has authority over the spiritual realm. He is Lord over it all because he created it and it must obey him. The Bible has been promising us this kind of Messiah. A Messiah who will take our illnesses, who will bear our diseases, our iniquities, according to Isaiah 53 verse 4. We've been promised a Messiah who has the power and the will To save. Now, what's also stunning about Jesus, though, is the way that he uses this unparalleled power. What's surprising is who he uses his power to benefit. Think about the the first three recipients of Christ's miraculous work after the Sermon on the Mount a Jewish leper, a servant of a Gentile oppressor, and a feverish. Woman. These are not the kind of people that power normally pays attention to. And yet Jesus is drawn to them. And yet Jesus makes a statement in how he will use his power in allowing them to come to him. Notice alongside the power of Jesus, his compassion. Jesus touches the untouchable. As we mentioned earlier, leprosy was a devastating disease for a number of reasons. Not only did this disease affect a person's appearance or their skin, it also affected their social and religious standing. A person who was declared a leper, again, was declared to be unclean. He was thought of among the people of God as cursed by God, dangerous to the community. And as a result, until he could be declared clean, he was separated from the community and not allowed to participate in any of the religious ceremonies that were so essential to the spiritual life of the people of God. And you can see an accounting of that in the law in Leviticus 13 and Numbers chapter five. In fact, lepers were required to wear torn clothes to identify themselves. And so they couldn't hide any skin issues they had. And as they came Among other people, they were to declare unclean, unclean, so that everyone could be aware and not touch them, themselves becoming unclean, which is why what Jesus does in verse three is so astonishing. When this leper approaches him boldly through the crowd, when he kneels before him, look at the compassion of Jesus, not just to heal him, but to touch him. He touches him. Who knows how long it had been since this man had felt the physical touch of someone else. And yet, in a moment of desperation, running to Christ, his desperation turns to hope. It turns to restoration. It turns to cleansing. The savior of the world, the the Lord of heaven and earth touches him and he is immediately made well. And not only does Jesus touch the untouchable, he serves the outsider. Again, this, this commander, the centurion, although he was kind to the Jewish people, he was not of the Jewish people. And yet he shows remarkable faith. He shows a remarkable acknowledgement of a greater authority in Christ, evidencing a faith that sets him apart even from many of God's own people. Look at verses 10 to 12 again. After he says, no, you can't come. Please don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. But I know that you have an authority that's greater than my authority. And if those under my authority must obey, everything under your authority must also obey. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness in that place where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is hinting here about a greater trajectory in the story of the Bible. How the kingdom of God, the the promise of God will expand to include all nations. Reminding us that the goal in Christ's coming was to bless all nations. Matthew is reminding us that Jesus will be a savior for all people. His power will be used for all people. It's a reminder that there's no one Regardless of what they have done, that is beyond the compassion of God. He's a savior for all. And he will, use, he will rule justly and compassionately over all. We need to hear the, the promise that is echoed in these actions of Christ today. There's no one, no one more deserving of God's grace. And there is no one less deserving of God's grace. We are all in need of it. And praise the Lord, we have all been given equal access to it in Christ. And then finally, Jesus sees the overlooked. He touches the untouchable. He serves the outsider. And he sees the overlooked. Look at verse 14 again. He comes into Peter's house and Jesus sees. He saw. Peter's mother-in-law lying sick and fever. Now, I don't wanna overstate the point here, but it's well-documented that in this time, women did not have the same rights as men and were generally thought of as secondary. Yet we've noticed in the story of Jesus an intentional inclusion of women in the genealogy and now here on the other side of the mount as Jesus is beginning his ministry. Jesus wants us to know that he sees those whom society overlooks. That he is concerned for those with whom society is unconcerned. Now we're building on the same idea that we discussed when we were looking at the centurion. As with the centurion, there's no sin that you can commit that will permanently disqualify you from experiencing the compassion of God. So long as you come to him in repentance and with humility. Moreover, and this is the promise we see here, There's no social position that moves you to the front of the line to gain the attention of Christ. Listen, you don't have to buy your way into the presence of Jesus. You don't have to to force your way into the presence of Jesus. If you are in need, all you need to do is call out and you will find a Savior who is ready and willing to help. Friends, isn't that the story of the gospel? Isn't that the reality of our salvation all of us spiritually broken all of us spiritual leper sickness dead because of our trespasses on this earth. All of us desperate coming through a crowd of people to Jesus in desperation, crying out, unclean, unclean. If you would only heal me, I know you have the power to heal me. Would you heal me? And finding a savior compassionate enough to say, I will. That is what Christ has done for us. Can we just sit in awe of Jesus today? Can we just remember where we were and where where God found us and and how he brought us from that that place of desperation, that place of of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. What a glorious savior. Powerful. There's no one else who could save us, but also compassionate and that he desired to do it. This is a good king. This is a king that you want to follow. This is a king that you want to give your life to. Let's, let's worship King Jesus today. So friends, how can we respond to this picture of, of Christ that Matthew is unfolding for us in his gospel? I just want to offer a few responses to this picture of King Jesus. And the first one is, is derived directly from our text. Let's look at verses 18 to 22 in Matthew chapter 8. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And the idea here is that this man's father is not dead yet. Because if he was already dead, they would already be engaged in burying him right then. He wouldn't be with Jesus. He would be at the funeral. So the idea is, it's my responsibility to bury my father. Let me stay with him until he dies. And then I will come and follow you. And Jesus says to him, follow me now and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Listen, when you see the authority of Jesus on display, when you see this unique combination of power and compassion, it is compelling. It will draw a crowd. But remember in the gospel of Jesus, Matthew's drawing a distinction between crowds and disciples. We're not co- we're not called just to be attracted to the spectacle of Christ. We're not called just to be interested in Jesus Because there will come a time when following Christ is difficult. And if we're just a part of the crowd, we won't stick around that long. We're called to be disciples, to follow King Jesus and serve his kingdom. And one of the first responses that Matthew is asking us to consider as an evangelist is, are you willing to forsake everything to follow Jesus and serve his kingdom? What do you see in Christ? Do you see this powerful, compassionate king who's worthy of your life? Are you willing to follow him, forsaking everything else? Listen, you need to count the cost. Don't, don't say I'll follow you too quickly until you realize there may be difficulty along the way. Don't, don't trust in what God did not promise. There's going to be difficulty. Count the cost, but don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. Don't, don't think you have tomorrow because you're not promised tomorrow can count the cost but run to jesus and cry out to him for salvation there's nowhere else to turn there's no there's no one else that these illnesses were meant to show us a picture of desperation to reflect for us our own spiritual condition before jesus friends we are dying dead apart from christ there's one alone who can heal his name is jesus Cry out to him for salvation in humility. Kneel and ask, Lord, if you are willing, save me. And here's the promise of the gospel for everyone who cries out to him for salvation, he is willing. Now you may think this morning, Jared, I'm too unclean. You don't know what I've done. You may think, Jared, God doesn't care about me. Who am I? Nobody cares about me. I want you to hear this morning the testimony of Matthew. You're not too unclean, and Christ cares. There's no one beyond the reach of the healing work of Jesus. And there's no one that he overlooks. Come to him today. Cry out in desperation and find salvation. For those of us who are in Christ, let me offer these responses. Let's let's seek to be like Jesus as we serve his kingdom. This, This display of the character and nature of Jesus is meant to be a challenge to us as his people as we seek to become more like him. We've been entrusted with much as the church, as the people of God. Jesus tells us that the authority he's been given, he's given to us so that we can advance his kingdom and his gospel upon the earth. So let's be sure that as we exercise that authority, as we have access to the power of God, that we treat people like Jesus does. Not valuing them valuing them for what they can give to us or how they can help us, but valuing them because they are created in the image of God. And they are in need of what we were in need of We're all beggars and we've all come to Jesus to find mercy and grace. And finally, let's rejoice this morning in the kingdom that is and is to come. What we get here in Matthew chapter 8 and we'll get over the next few chapters is a foretaste of what awaits all of us who are in Christ. I want to be clear here. The Bible is not promising here healing for every single person that desires healing in this life. There are miraculous healings that Jesus offers in in the course of the gospel. We're gonna deal with this in more detail next week, but it's important to remember that every single person that Jesus heals in the gospels dies of something else. That our hope is not in this life and that the healings here have gospel intentionality attached to them. And that's the same today. That whenever there is healing today, there's gospel intentionality. But ultimately, these moments are, are to whet our appetites for the hereafter in a new heaven, a new earth, united by a new Jerusalem, where everything that's been cursed, every, every aspect of, of creation that's been overcome by the brokenness of sin will be healed and restored. And that's where we will find ultimate healing. We'll have new bodies, Praise the Lord, that we will get to serve God for all of eternity and to worship him. So let's let this text do what it's designed to do and, and point our affections toward eternity where there won't be sickness, there won't be death, there won't be tears, there will be just joy because the king is there, our powerful and compassionate Jesus, and we will be with him. Oh, friends, why would you worship anyone else? Why would you place your hope in anyone else? Let's look to King Jesus, this powerful, compassionate King, and let's give him our lives. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to this message and this passage of scripture. Do you know Christ? Have you ever in your life Recognize the the sickness that separates you from a holy and righteous God. Have you ever felt the way that sin makes us unclean, unworthy of God's presence? And have you come to Jesus in humility, in repentance, and asked him, Lord, will you heal me? Will you save me? Will you restore me? I'll give you my life. And I want you to hear me this morning. If you do that, if you feel the spirit of God leading you to that declaration, that confession of dependence, you will find a savior ready, waiting, willing to save. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about Christ and how he saves, how you can give your life to him. For those of us who are in Christ, can we just worship him today? This God, the son who took on flesh, to give us a glimpse of the character and nature of God, powerful and compassionate, who saves, who heals, who restores. Can we worship that God today? And then can we ask his help to be more like him? That we would be compassionate people for the sake of the gospel? And can we ask the Lord to set our hearts on eternity? That place where all of our hopes will be realized. Father, would you find us faithful today? A more faithful people because of our time before your word today. Help us to respond in a way that honors you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.